Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Dunstan Checks In. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Famous noise of the orangutan. <laughs> well, it's animal month. It what is. animal does everyone love? Dogs. You have to start with dogs and then move on from there. Not cats. Does everybody love dogs? Dennis Reynolds doesn't love dogs. Does he not? No. In the the famous Wolf Cola episode, <laughs> um, the, part of the controversy is that um, that he doesn't like dogs. So he manages to oh, do a really right. good job of getting around the fact that... Wolf Cola is the favoured drink of Boko Haram. That's <laughs> but then right. ruins it all by saying that he doesn't like dogs live on television. Oh, yes, that's right. I haven't watched Sunny in ages, actually. I think I still maybe like have the last couple of seasons to watch. Oh, maybe. sure, yeah. Well, yeah. I've just got the new one left to watch. Um, but I've watched the rest of them apart from that. Possibly the greatest comedy of all time. There really is nothing like it, is no. there? I mean, you can hear us on a few episodes of... Um, jabronis only the always yes, sunny podcast we've yeah. talked about some random episodes with my dad who introduced me to the show and who is a huge fan but yeah there, there's nothing else like it really is there no no and and what's great about it is that it's remained consistent like the last couple of series have maybe had the odd episode here and there that's maybe not quite as good as the classics but they're still all very sharp and there's always something worthwhile about every episode so it's amazing how consistent it's been, given how long it's been on the air. Yeah, the very few shows that have that kind of longevity and don't end up sort of burning out and either just doing the same thing over and over or sort of really, really losing it as they try to do things that are grander. And yeah, or they, they end up trying, they end up sort of becoming schmaltzy, which yeah, is also yeah. a common affliction. Whereas Always Sunny has done thought-provoking episodes but it's maintained the darkness and the sheer evil of their characters incredibly well um yeah really impressive i hope that it continues although i am i'm slightly concerned about how everyone from the cast is off doing their own thing these days so i was about to say there's lots of other sunny related content sunny adjacent content out there isn't there yeah so you've got mythic quest which i've still not watched but is apparently very very good I've not either. My dad spoke very highly of that as well. Which is um, uh, Rob McElhenney primarily led, but also has Rickety Cricket in it as well, David Hornsby. Then Charlie Day's done his film that apparently everybody hated, which is a shame. Yeah. I'm actually quite intrigued to see it. Yeah, I'd I'd quite like to watch it. It's a negative reception. It looks great. Um, And um, old Dennis Reynolds has been in... (laughs) No, I'm calling him by his character name, <laughs> Glenn Howerton. Um, he's been in the movie about the creation of Blackberry, oh, where he's got a big bald okay. head. <laughs> really? And that's that's the only thing I remember about it. I can't picture that. Um, I'm going to have to look that up called... so I can have a surprise. A bit like a last week's episode when I looked up a picture of Michael Bay and I was like, oh, that's what Michael Bay looks like. 
<laughs> it's called Blackberry, and it's about the the making of the Blackberry phone. Um, the movie nobody needed, but is apparently kind of good. I don't know. Is it? Is it? They trying to make it like that Steve Jobs one? Well, I think it's kind of like a more comedic focus um, than than the Steve so Jobs like- one. So rather than it being a, I think it's going more for a sort of comedic version of the social network. I think in terms of tone. So no, no one's going to be rowing to the Hall of the Mountain King <laughs> in the film Blackberry. They'll be doing it to like comedy pop pop music instead. Yeah, exactly. It'll be. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, it's kind of a, a tweet of someone saying, hey, guys, remember Blackberries? They had a keyboard on your phone and stuff. Is that, but in a movie. Yeah, but apparently it's good, which really surprises me, because from the trailers, it doesn't look great. But apparently, apparently it's a it's a good one, oh, right. allegedly. So it might be worth might be worth watching. And Glenn Howerton... His show that he went off and did was called AP Bio. Yes, which I watched I've the watched first a- episode of it on a plane last year, ah. um, and I didn't <laughs> okay. watch any more because, <laughs> like, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't. It didn't grab me enough for me to want to go and watch the whole thing. Yeah, it, it was I mean. it was good, but at the same time, I was just like, it's like Dennis Reynolds, but more toned down. And yeah, why would I exactly. watch the toned down version when I can watch the real thing? Um, so I'll probably go back and watch it at some point when I, when, when I am incredibly bored and I don't want to rewatch Always Sunny, but, and it seemed good, but, um, but yeah. When you haven't got any reviews to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and of course, Charlie is the voice of Luigi, which I still maintain that they should have just got the entire cast of Always Sunny to be the cast of the Mario movie. Yeah, it, it it maps on quite easily, I think. Imagine Danny DeVito as either Bowser or, more hilariously, Toad. Yeah, or just both. <laughs> or both, yeah. It would be great. Just um, the, the Nightman cometh, but, but with Mario characters instead. Yeah. It would have been amazing. <laughs> also, you know that a Bowser is like a big water tank thing? Yes. I only found that out, like, quite recently. So every time I see one, I laugh. <laughs> I know it's very childish of me. And of but. course, there is uh, someone who works at Nintendo called is it Greg Bowser? Really? Yeah. <laughs> and the the mayor of um, Washington D.C. is called Muriel Bowser. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, it's 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 something Bowser works at Nintendo. It's, that's it's like an executive. Um, I choose to believe that um, Doug Bowser. Doug Bowser it is. I've just Doug had to Bowser, not Greg. Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm Greg he's, he's the fella who replaced um, Reggie Fils-Aimé, um, who was the a Nintendo of America president when right. he took over from him. And I choose to believe it's solely around his name. Yeah, nothing, nothing to do with the fact that he used to work for EA. That's an open goal, isn't it? <laughs> There's no way you can't do that. Imagine, yeah, like if your name was Mario Mario or Luigi Mario, surely by rights they have to give you a job. Yeah. Which is the official name of Mario, by the way, as confirmed in the superior Super Mario Brothers movie. The the original Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I can't, I can't call it the superior one because I've not watched the new one yet, but in my heart, there's no way that the animated one's going to be as good as the 90s one. No. No it's, chance. It's impossible. It's never, never going to happen. John Leguizamo, the icon. Now, Mario was famous for fighting a giant ape. <laughs> 
And this week's movie also contains an ape, doesn't it? Yeah, How about not that a for giant a segue? <laughs> Just a, well, not even a regular ape. He's a cutie. He's an a orangutan. cute little ape. Is an orangutan an ape? Is it mean? Yes. Is, is all monkeys are apes? Is ape like an overarching term for the primates that aren't humans? Um, Planet of the Apes. That's the film we're talking about I'm... this week. <laughs> Planet of the Apes, exactly. I'm not sure because we've got primates, but then within that we've got apes, which is including the great apes. And the great apes is the orangutans, the gorillas, the chimpanzees as well, I think, fall under great right. apes as well. And then the not-so-great apes. <laughs> the, the shit apes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a noise band. <laughs> I we're the shit apes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but primates, of course, is quite... But I think lots of monkeys fall under simians, don't they? Oh, right. different from apes. But I don't know whether monkeys... Simian mobile disco. Yeah. Supported by the shit apes. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know whether, whether monkeys comes above apes and then apes are a subsection of monkeys or whether it's all different. I don't know. Really? I'm, not a, I'm no stupid science bitch. Couldn't make me more smarter, to go back to Always Sunny. <laughs> Um, if you're an ape expert, please get in touch. Yeah, and tell ape us. experts get in touch. I think that they should introduce apes to Britain. Yeah. Apart from us, we're the real apes. I was say, just need to go down any town centre on a Saturday night. Ooh. Um, yeah, I'd I'd love there to be gorillas in the wild. Just just walking. Just about. imagine, ra- rather than urban foxes, it's urban gorillas just in your bins. Definitely not a terrifying prospect. Just on the bus, you know, in the library. <laughs> Go down Costa um, Coffee. Well, mentioning libraries, of course, that's that's very orangutangy libraries. Going Is back it? to old um, Discworld and the the orangutan librarian. Oh yes, yeah. You know, I've still read very very little of Terry Pratchett's work, but I'm about halfway through Mort, and it's been sitting on my nightstand oh. for ages. And it's it's amazing. I re- remember reading it when I was a kid, and the graphic novel version of it, which was really good as well. But it's a masterpiece, obviously. Mort is incredible. Like, I, I I, didn't keep up with Discworld as I got older. I probably read about five or six when I was younger that I still have. I keep meaning to go back and just read it from start to finish and just make that my job, my my reading job for the rest of my life, basically, is to catch up with all of Discworld. Because you easily could. When, when I was a kid, Guards, Guards, Mort... They were two of my favourite books. And actually, I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but before he did Discworld, Terry Pratchett did a standalone thing called The Carpet People, which is about yes. a fantasy world within the within <clears throat> the world of a carpet. And I loved that as a kid. It was possibly my favourite book. Um, wow. And, and the thing is that, that actually Terry Pratchett, although he's incredibly well known for, for Discworld and rightly so, his stuff outside of Discworld was also absolutely amazing. It's not like he did anything that was bad, ever. No, no. Always, always incredible. Like, outside of Discworld, you've got things like... Um, he did Only You Can Save Mankind as well, didn't he? And then he did um, Diggers and things like that, too. Yeah. He did all sorts of brilliant stuff. Um, was was it Truckers, Diggers, and I've forgotten the name of the third one, but they were about, again, kind of building on the idea of the carpet people um, into these small gnomey, gnomey creatures. Yeah, 
Um, he just did did amazing books, did incredible books. And was just a great guy in general. Yeah, and yeah, and an incredible human. And being. you see the amount of stuff aside from him being a great person and being someone who was genuinely kind and warm and really built people up in everything that he did. There are like bits from his books that people still quote that are kind of, um, you know, proper proper left wing nice things that that help people to understand why capitalism is bad and that kind of thing. There's there's a one that often goes around about how it's expensive to be poor because there was an example of someone who could afford to buy a good pair of boots that would last them ten years versus someone who'd never have that amount of money to be able to buy them would have to buy a new pair every year or whatever you know it's those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, the Vimes boots theory um, from Vimes from um, from the Ankh-Morpork guards. Um, yeah, just, oh man, he was such a, he cut through with such incisiveness to the real root of things that people always think about, you know, people still think of fantasy as not being a, a, a real genre of any thought behind it and that's kind of changed with with game of thrones but then that's the adult fantasy yeah. for real people because it's got boobs in it and blood and stuff um but actually when you think about the ones that really got to the root of things in society you know Discworld is right up there in terms of understanding human beings and understanding the structures that we live in yeah and if, if anyone really thinks that about fantasy, that it's all just kind of inconsequential, unrealistic nonsense, you know, it reflects our world better than anything that is realistic because it allows you to abstract those things and process them differently, doesn't it? And I think yeah. if anyone doesn't believe that, then just send them towards Terry Pratchett's work because he's, <laughs> yeah, he's a exactly. comic genius as well. Oh, yeah, incredibly funny. You know, in, in my mind, the two best genres for actually looking at the politics of the world are probably fantasy and then sci-fi, but then specifically within sci-fi, cyberpunk. Yeah. Where a good cyberpunk book gets to why capitalism is shit better than anything else, you know, so so incisively. Um, so, yeah, go read stuff that's not lit fiction, people. Yeah. Go read genre fiction because there's loads of amazing stuff in there where you'll learn stuff. And even if you don't learn stuff, even if it's not thematically powerful, it's still going to be more fun than reading about some middle-aged bloke who's having an affair. Yeah. Oh, I'm having an affair and I'm sad. You could read that. <laughs> That's all, or, all literary fiction. <laughs> or rather than that, you could read about someone fighting a dragon or hacking into the Super Matrix. But what we're, what we're forgetting here is that books are for nerds. So we've been talking about them for <laughs> quite a while. True. It's true, books are for nerds. Right, Terry Pratchett was alive in the 90s. Do you think he ever watched the film Dunstan Checks In? <laughs> Choose to believe he absolutely watched Dunstan Checks In and loved it. I reckon he loved it. Yeah. Did you love Dunstan Checks In? I don't know if I loved it, but I, I was much more entertained than I was expecting to be. It was a weird yeah. one. Because... I'm I'm 99% sure that I hadn't seen this film before, but it felt weirdly familiar to me. And I don't know if that's because I did see it when I was a kid and then just kind of forgot about it. Or if it just has such a kind of 90s animal comedy caper vibe <laughs> that that was familiar to me as well. You know, Stanley Tucci could have reared his head round a door at some point to be some kind of smiling villain. And I'd have been like, yeah, here he is. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever watched it as a kid, but... I, I, similar to you, I think I, I just there's something that you 
get about this movie through osmosis from the fact that it's like literally every other <laughs> animal animal farce from the 90s um i choose to i've got two things i want to say about dunstan checks in first off that it is a modern retelling of the murder at the rue morgue that's i choose to believe that's canon that's that's what they were aiming for um I'm, the famous i don't really know the story of that uh spoiler spoiler alert, spoiler alert for the murder in the room it's it's mur- it's a murder i don't really care about murder stories again you're going to talk about let's go back to books for a second literary fiction you say that's all the same crime fiction is boring right crime fiction is all the same and boring and it's just endless amounts of it you know d- why would you read that when there's so many different like fantasy books out there anyway that's just my opinion <laughs> there are some crime fiction books that again do have some thematic interest to them but a lot of them are very very similar yeah but it people enjoy them for the mystery and they're like oh can i piece together the mystery before the end and a successful mystery book drags you in like that but i've got very little time for the dower life is crap i'm a detective and i'm an alcoholic and i'm cheating on my wife and i'm sad because i'm cheating on my wife (laughs) (laughs) so the lit fiction of genre fiction is a bad crime novel um anyway the murders in the room morgue is an Edgar Allan Poe short story. Oh, that's right. And it's almost like the first ever detective story. Hmm. Um, and uh, the great thing about it is, and this is not what you'd dis- expect from the first ever detective story, that the incredible detective uh, recognises that the murderer was actually an escaped orangutan. <laughs> And that's the genuine plot of the first ever detective story ever told. Right. Okay. Um, so I choose to believe that this is a retelling of a of a orangutan gone loose, but rather than it murdering people in a hotel, it's being a cheeky little boy and stealing stuff. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Ken Quappis is a known Edgar Allan Poe fan. <laughs> the other thing that I thought of as I was watching Dunstan Checks In is that actually um, this is a Marxist masterpiece. Yeah. This is about class. This is about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and the ruling classes and how we should overthrow them by hiring orangutans to steal their stuff. It's about sticking it to the man. And the man, in this case, is Rupert Everett. (laughs) Well, the man is pretty much... The man is pretty much everybody in this movie, apart from the two young boys and uh, Dunstan himself. Yeah. And then you've got Jason Alexander, who almost is a petty bourgeois in this. Se- I'm going to continue this Marxist analysis, by the way, all the way through this episode. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I won't. But no, it's, he's it's almost- a film in which an orangutan seizes the means of production. That's yes, all you need se- to know. <laughs> He seizes the means of production. Uh, the petty bourgeois of Jason Alexander, who is trying to be something he's not, trying to have this higher position in society, also eventually joins and goes back to his proletariat roots to overthrow, to undermine, to reach and grasp uh, the society that he deserves. And in the end, they are rewarded. So what does that tell us? Dunstan checks in, Marxist masterpiece. Karl Marx it, would have approved. But yeah, Karl Marx approved. That should be on the front cover of the DVD. <laughs> Dunstan checks in. <laughs> Engels checks in. <laughs> um, so is it worth us going over the plot of Dunstan yeah, checks in? Yeah, absolutely. Dunstan um, fucks in. <laughs> I had to say that at some point. 
You did. That is a reference to a reference to a a drill tweet that is extremely funny. That's it. Um, That's the tweet. That's the tweet. Um, So Dunstan checks in is about um, a man with a dead wife, Jason Alexander. (laughs) Now you do make it. We all make it sound like an Edgar Allan Poe story. (laughs) (laughs) And his two his two boys, Eric and Graham, and he runs a very fancy hotel. And um, it's a very busy weekend with some very fancy guests and they're going to be doing a review of the hotel and everything like that. And it's make or break for him. However, at the same time, enter Rupert Everett as Lord Rutledge, who is a kind of con artist, shifty fella. And he has an orangutan that he has trained to steal things from hotel rooms. Yeah. Who is just allowed in, by the way. No one at any point in this film is like, should that smelly orangutan be in this hotel? Is that allowed? Is that like well, an environmental risk? It's well, he's he's hidden, isn't he? No one knows that the orangutan's there, right? And that's that's how. So he hides him in a briefcase when he when he brings him into the. Well, it's a suitcase made to look like a briefcase that can somehow keep an orangutan in it. And um and he hides him he hides him in that until he gets to the hotel room and then he's a sneaky sneaky fella. He puts on his like. Uh, his like thieving gear and goes out the window and is really sneaky and he goes through the air vents and things so actually apart from the boys who see him Jason Alexander's kids no one else knows that the orangutan is there and then when they do find out they bring in possibly the best character other than Rupert Everett Everett, the um, the exterminator man do you think they wrote that that role for Rob Schneider but he wasn't available I felt like that role was giving off major Rob Schneider vibes. It was giving off major major Rob Schneider vibes, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. And uh, but instead they got Pee Wee to, yep. to do it instead. Um. Pee Wee Herman. Peter Paul and- Rubens, the Renaissance painter. <laughs> um. And so yeah, hijinks ensue with this orangutan because the orangutan doesn't like Lord Rutledge, and it breaks away and it befriends the young boy, and then. Uh, Rupert Everett seems to want to now kill the orangutan, I think seems to be what he's aiming for. <laughs> it gets a bit Just, dark at the end of the film, doesn't yeah. it? It's like everyone suddenly is trying to kill Dunstan. He's like, is it oh, it's, little <laughs> this is a kid's film. What are you doing, you people? You nasty It's heavily people. implied, isn't it, that Rupert Everett murdered Dunstan's brother? Yeah. <laughs> Which is very, very dark. It's very, very sinister, isn't it, Rupert Everett? I think he he, he gave a very, very sinister performance, thinking that I it was thoroughly... a comic majesty. But if you were to sort of flip this around and give it a very, very different score, it could come across as genuinely like quite a scary performance. Man, the, the orangutan murderer. I love Rupert Everett in this. I think he's fantastic. Um, also, shout out to... Actually, the supporting cast in this movie is rather good. You've got Faye Dunaway. I know. You've got Jennifer Bassey. Um, and shout out to our main man, Glenn Shaddix, who is absolutely hilarious in this. Uh, he's a fellow with a dog, and he falls into fountains, and he gets coconuts dropped on his head and everything else. He's brilliant in these kind of performances. Um, you've not seen Beetlejuice, have you? No, you're going to force it on me, aren't you, at some point? I am, and he is phenomenal in that as well. Um, and also, uh, he is in one of the greatest movies of all time, Demolition Man, which I don't know if I've made you watch Demolition Man. No, you Man haven't. That's, that sounds more enjoyable than Beetlejuice. That's got, Be- that's got Rob Schneider in it, hasn't it? <laughs> it does. Genuinely, Beetlejuice is more enjoyable than Demolition Man, but not by much. Demolition Man is incredible. So Demolition Man 
is an all-time great uh, Sylvester Stallone action movie um, where he is a cop who gets uh, he gets cryogenically frozen for a crime of being a bad cop, basically. Um, alongside that, the villain that he was trying to catch in the 90s has also been caught and gets cryogenically frozen. <laughs> Uh, played by Wesley Snipes, I might add. Impossibly Wesley Snipes' best performance. Um, even better than Blade as a character named... Uh, our main characters are John Spartan and Simon Phoenix, if you're looking for the tone of the movie that you're about to watch. Um, Wesley Snipes accidentally gets cryogenically unfrozen and runs amok in the future where crime is basically eradicated and there's world peace, essentially. Um, and they don't know how to deal with this murderous um, criminal. So they also unfreeze Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> which is almost like when they release like a poisonous snake to deal with a rat infestation. <laughs> so then everything explodes. And also in the movie are Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt, and our boy Rob Schneider. Awesome. And it's very, very funny and very, very stupid and well worth watching and is a better movie than Dunstan Checks In but that's Dunstan ha- Checks In do, has an orangutan it does, no I was reading here he's, he died in a very sad way he had like a fall in his kitchen and hit his head who? Glenn Shaddix? yeah, yeah oh that's really sad I didn't realise oh he was he was amazing. He he put in all of these fantastic performances over his career. I, I recognised him from died. Seinfeld, who played Jerry's landlord. Ah, okay, okay. And um, it says here that um, he he was did a voice in the Nightmare Before Christmas that he then reprised in Kingdom Hearts two. Very good, very good. Yeah, he's the mayor in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, um, he's yeah he he was brilliant. Oh, I'm really sad he's died. I didn't realise. Yeah, it's a real shame. Oh, R.I.P. But he's he's fantastic and great and he kind of the film the film all hangs off him and Dunstan yeah, checks in because yeah. he appears at the beginning he's checking in before Dunstan checks in it's almost like Glenn checks in with his dog and then there's some hijinks ensue of course because the, the, essentially this film is a farce right there's it's got yeah, all, all this yeah. farcical action churning over all the time um but yeah and then it, it turns out he's the like mystery shopper guy is that what they call it yeah what's the, the hotel shopper. version of that <laughs> Mystery, mystery guest. guest. Yeah, that's that just sounds like someone on a TV show. But yeah, he's the mystery <laughs> guest um who's supposed to review their star rating or whatever and there's a moment when he he tells Nasty Faye Dunaway that she's gone down from four stars to one star or whatever and she's like no. That's a lovely moment. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, he's he's fab in this and constantly gets involved in slapstick hijinks and you know me i'm not necessarily the biggest fan of slapstick but when you get someone who's good at it it's um it's good and he's good at it and so yeah he he's one of the great examples of the supporting cast putting in the work um when otherwise the movie might fall flat and i think this movie could have been i mean it's not a good film but no it's not objectively good but there's a charm to it, and I think that charm is down to the energy of the performances. 
It's got major goof factor, and I don't think that anyone's phoning it in. What you often find with these kind of comedies, especially from this this era or slightly more dated ones, is that a lot of the time it just feels like people are phoning it in, like it was another thing they just went and did and kind of ticked it off to get to to do some to get some cash, and then that was it. Whereas in this, I feel like people were very very committed to this orangutan film. Yes, yeah, people are people are genuinely involved, and I think you've got that great like dichotomy of. Uh, didn't think that word would be used in a review of Dunstan checks in, did you? Um, you've you've got that great dichotomy of the dryness of Jason Alexander's performance versus the wackiness of Rupert Everett's, and there being an orangutan loose in a in a in a hotel. Yeah, where there's this real tonal shift that works surprisingly well. Um. So yeah, I I kind of dug this movie it is bad but this was not as bad as i thought it was going to be look it has rupert everett telling all his friends that the human body can only stand so many centuries of inbreeding (laughs) exactly exactly um it's worth noting that this movie was despised by critics at the time genuinely hated and that's um, the thing. I don't feel like this is worthy of hate. No. So no. I feel like I, I want to have a soft spot for this film because it seems to have been so, yeah, roundly trounced by the critics at the time. So it ends up with um, with an average of 54, but that's because there was a handful of places that gave it very good reviews right. versus some which really despised it. Um, the Philadelphia Inquirer saying a movie so dumb it raises serious questions about our place on the evolutionary ladder. <laughs> I mean, that's not completely unfair. <laughs> not entirely. But at the same time, in comparison to other kids' movies from the era, is this really that bad? No, it's not. No, exactly. Like, I don't think this is as good as something like Beethoven, but it's on the way to Beethoven, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but got... is, is it fair to compare an orangutan and a dog? Probably not. But you know what I mean. <laughs> um, Faye Dunaway was um, uh, given uh, a golden raspberry, a Razzie, for this and another performance that she gave. As we know, the Razzies are awful and pointless. That's very unfair. Um, but Faye Dunaway is still alive. Oh, so props to her um and he's good in this movie it's fun yeah and again she's hamming it up as the kind of not quite evil but slightly mean hotelier who just wants to get that final star you know and she'll stop at nothing yes yeah exactly she's determined to become the greatest um and again that adds a sort of um Adds, adds a sort of um, intensity and groundedness to the movie is that there is this Jason Alexander and Faye Dunaway story going on at the same time. So there's not just the tension of the orangutan on the loose, but also what the orangutan could do to that rating. So you've almost got this um, this farce within a farce almost, which is yeah. which is good fun. And, you know, they, they give you an emotional hook, don't they? He's a, he's a single dad. His wife's dead. He can't take the kids on holiday because he keeps having to do hotel stuff. And that's that's a good hook for the farcical action, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, which is good. Um, is move, this movie was not successful with audiences either. 
Um, so it cost $16 million to make, uh, only made $10 million back, but apparently... It's not that much, even even in 90s money. No, no. But, but if you think about it, it all takes place in the hotel, doesn't it? it, it it's not clear, if, there's nothing on like Wikipedia about the production of it at all, but like um, it's not clear whether it, they built a set for it or hired a hotel to do it. No, I mean, a lot of that money clearly went on multiple orangutans and they kept accidentally killing them. That's where the money went. <laughs> Yep. 100%. Paul Rubens came in and said his one line, I want him dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Is, is it, or is it Faye Dunaway who says she wants him she, dead? She wants him dead. But Paul Rubin yeah. apparently was a method actor and was determined to actually use real poisons on real orangutans. And that's, yeah. where, the money, that's where the money went. Um, however, it was really successful in home video. So apparently, as of April 1997, so not that long afterwards, it had... Um, and 41.6 million in video sales. Wow. So it is I a think huge... that's what we call a, a cult classic. Yeah, so it was a huge hit with, with families clearly buying it for their kids. Yeah, 1997. Just everything good came out that year, didn't it? <laughs> Final Fantasy VII, Dunstan <laughs> checks in. What else came out in 1997? <laughs> I don't know. Let's go 1997 movies, and I'm going to be very disappointed if Johnston checks in isn't top. Well, okay, it's, it's volcano. A volcano. This is, well, it came out in 1996, but that, that's the year of its home video success. I think <laughs> I love that even more. I think that's more important to me than the year that it came out. If that's yeah. the peak, if that's peak Dunstan in 1997. <laughs> Dunstan reaching its true potential. So yeah. you, you did have uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano. Dunstan's Peak. You had, uh, <laughs> you had Event Horizon, uh, a movie that I adore. Um, and you had The Fifth Element that year as oh, well. Oh, wow. Gattaca as well. Have we talked about Gattaca on this podcast? No, we yet? haven't. Oh, my days. We should do that at some point. Starring I, Greg Sestero. I know what you did last summer, and um, some movie called Titanic. I don't really... Oh, yeah, I, yeah. That's I don't, don't really know Titanic, to be honest. Um, so at the same time that people were going to see that James Cameron blockbuster in the cinema... <laughs> They probably also had a VHS at home of Dunstan Checks In. <laughs> exactly. So it was being watched by the kids every weekend. The, the the parents went off to the cinema to go and watch Titanic, leaving the kids with a babysitter to watch Dunstan Checks In. That genuinely sounds like an average night in 1997. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like maybe we rented this film. Oh, do you I reckon? Know, I have to see if my dad remembers it. But like, maybe we rented it from Apollo Video and... And it was one of our Friday or Saturday night films. Ah, uh, okay. Or I just watched half of it on TV once, maybe. It's that <laughs> kind of film as well, isn't it? Is this is this of the age for your kids to watch, or is it too adult for them? Not, not yet. Eric, he's only seen a couple of like films all the way through. That's quite a rare thing. He's seen a couple of Studio Ghibli's and a couple of Disney's, and that's kind of it. So but he's I not, think he's not maybe, quite ready for the ferocity of Dunstan checks in. No, no. And the thing, the trouble is that everything he watches, he wants to then like play an imaginary game based on it. So like you have to be really careful what you show him. Because then if, if you show him this, he'd, he'd be like, I want to be the monkey in the briefcase. And then I want to wreak havoc. <laughs> I want to steal everything in a hotel. Like genuinely, I have to get him to an age where he un- he understands that you if you see like a slapstick fast film you can't go and reenact it ah okay. 
because that's what he'll do. So, yeah, probably not worth watching something with a, a cheeky thief monkey. No, but I think in a, a couple of years, I think he'll love it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, what else can we say about Dunstan Checks In that we haven't already said? But should we talk about the massage scene? Oh, that's, the that's massage a very famous, scene is... much memed scene, Iconic. Iconic Dunstan moment. Um, I did enjoy that character, actually. Um, the the very sexual posh woman. Um, yeah. It gets weirdly horny for just a little <laughs> yeah, bit, doesn't it? It does. It gets, it gets weirdly horny for a brief Which will go time. right over the head of, of like a six-year-old or however old most of the kids were watching this in 1996, yes, 97. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's surprisingly horny. So there's a scene where this... this uh, this posh, uh, I don't know, is she is she a posh American or a posh British woman? I can't remember now. I thought she was an American. American. Um, and she uh, is having a massage and it's very heavily implied that she's going to tip the handsome massa extra for a bit of adult fun, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did not see coming. Which, all. yeah, I was like, okay, in a kids orangutan movie, bit odd that this has happened um but then in a way i absolutely did because everything (laughs) is a setup for here is a monkey in place of a human isn't that hilarious like it's george costanza cuddling a monkey in bed you know (laughs) (laughs) and thankfully nothing happens with the monkey in bed in this movie in that way um but you do get to see the orangutan standing on her back and doing some sort of massagey things um yeah in a hilarious hilarious way. way Um, making a funny orangutan face yes yeah and actually the one thing that did did surprise me about this movie was that there is no romantic angle you'd have thought that maybe there'd have been like an ape psychologist or some kind of ape expert brought in who was a woman who then um jason alexander falls in love with or something a science lady. Yeah, some kind of science lady. <laughs> like like in the like like in volcano. Like in volcano. Some kind of yeah. uh some kind of ape lady, ape science lady. Um but there's no romance really in this movie. There's the platonic friendship between a young boy and an orangutan, and that's about as far as you get. Yeah, and that that <coughs> develops quite nicely, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it goes it goes quite well, that that element. It's it's pretty they're good. They're both they're both outsiders. Yes, yeah, they're both not suitable for this this environment of this posh hotel um and yeah it's quite sweet that little friendship and at the end it all works out when really i mean <laughs> it's quite nice that they get sent off to a to run a hotel in bali because otherwise there is no reason why this family should have an orangutan <laughs> that orangutan should be in the wild no or he'd definitely get taken away by animal control and put in a zoo or yeah, something yeah yeah um, but um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun little fun little friendship that develops. <clears throat> yeah, the kid the kids are fine, aren't they? They do fine performances. Yeah, they're all right. They they do their job. Um, as kids, the 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 main kid, the young kid, I was in other stuff. Was he? Yeah, he was in. Funny that an actor would be in other stuff. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he was in um, The Santa Claus and The Santa Claus 2. Oh, I think I've seen the first one. That's not on our Christmas rotation. With uh, Tim Allen, who accidentally yeah. murders Santa or something like that and then takes his place. 
Oh, that's right. It's like weirdly dark. Yeah, like I, I can't remember if he murders him or he just injures him or something. I, I don't know. But it's a bit like, you know, the, the story trope of someone accidentally murdering death and then having to take over from him. It's similar. Yeah. Similar kind of thing, but with Santa Claus. Um, Sounds good. <laughs> and apparently he returned for the Santa Clauses, which was a, a little mini TV show that showed up on Disney Plus last Christmas. Oh. Um, alongside Tim Allen. Tim Allen was also in it. Of course he was. He'll always be there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anything else you want to say about about uh, Dunstan Checks In? Just that Ken Quappis has quite a funny CV of films that he's directed. So quite sort of jumping from thing to thing. He's he's done, like, did that film Licensed to Wed? Have you ever seen that? No, I don't think I have. Robin Williams plays the priest and it's John Krasinski and Mandy Moore who want to get married. That's all I can remember. But I definitely have seen that. Um, and also, he's just not that into you, which is one of the big big rom-coms of the oh, sort of yes. 2000s, isn't it? Yeah. And a film of his that I have seen is called Big Miracle, which was originally titled Everybody Loves Wales, which I think is a good title. But Why was it like, changed to Big Miracle, then? I don't know, because everything has to be sanitised and boring. But it's a, it's a good film, and there's a, there's a romance in it. So we could actually talk about that at some point. It's got whales in it. It's um, John Krasinski and Drew Barrymore. And it's based on a true story about these people who freed some whales that were stuck in an iceberg in Alaska or something. Ah, I see. He's done... But he's um, done some cool stuff. Yeah, and he's done some decent TV as well. Um, done some Malcolm in the middle. Office episodes... Um, done some Parks and Rec or one Parks and Rec episode, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, um, Freaks and Geeks, which is apparently a show that people like, but I've never seen it. Um, no. So yeah, he's. I think people who like that show really like that show. Yeah, it was. It only got one series, and it's got a lot of talented young people in it. Um, it was a Paul yeah. Paul Feig thing before he became big, wasn't it? And Judd Apatow. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so he's done some done some good stuff over the years. But this is obviously the peak of his career. Yes, yeah. Um, the writers went from um, horror movies to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're saying. Like everyone should make a horror film. Maybe this is like the opposite <laughs> of that. Once you've done your horror film, next step: monkey caper. Everyone should make a horror film, and then everyone should make a monkey movie. That's what should happen. Um, <laughs> um, so one of the writers did horror movies the other one um, did Dunstan Checks In and then also did the animated Anastasia film the Don Bluth Anastasia oh, uh, was involved in the surprisingly dark animated Anastasia wow, it's as light as you can possibly make that horrifying real life story <laughs> yeah <laughs> incredible that it was made into it um, into it at all um so yeah yeah varied people there involved um i have a little bit of trivia for you um okay jason alexander had to wear a toupee for the movie really important <laughs> i did think he's got quite a lot of hair in this <laughs> thinking this this is kind of george costanza era right yes yeah um but uh but yeah apparently yeah because he was too bald at the point of this movie clearly <laughs> so they made him wear wear a toupee um uh, apart from that, Rupert Everett was offered the role um, because some of the movie was shot in London and they wanted at least one British actor in the cast. Um, 
initially thought it was uh, he initially thought it was silly but ultimately agreed to take part because he didn't have a lot of success in his career at the time and was a fan of Seinfeld so uh, he thought the movie oh. would be a hit since Jason Alexander was in the lead <clears throat> it was not <laughs> <laughs> oh it, it was on it was on video it was on video yeah exactly um, I think Rupert Everett appreciates a VHS success. Yes. Um, they also wanted Clint Eastwood to have a cameo because, of course, he was in two very famous orangutan movies. He's a monkey man. Um, but he wanted too much money, so he didn't. Um, and finally, to answer your question of where it was filmed, some of the interior New York hotel scenes were filmed in LA at the old Bullock's Wiltshire building, which is no mm. longer open. Mm. And other bits were filmed in the Dorchester Hotel in London. I did wonder if it, if they'd managed to get some fancy famous hotel. So yeah, so they did. Fancy fancy hotel. Um and so yeah, I mean I think the most important bit of that trivia is that Jason Alexander was wearing a toupee. Um everybody by the way, cool. look up Jason Alexander in The Burning. I sent you the photo paddy, you should put it in the show notes. Um handsome young Jason Alexander in a slash movie. Is this in the the Google chat? Um, I sent it to you the other day, but I'll pop it in the in the chat. Oh as well. yes, no, you're right. He's holding a baseball bat. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, he's looking very handsome with a baseball bat. Oh yeah. Um, and also, if you're fans of slasher movies, then then go and watch The Burning as well. It's a it's a fun little slasher film. Doesn't have an orangutan, unfortunately. Well, then I won't be watching it. So, have you got anything else you'd like to say about Dunstan Checks? I don't think so. Just that it's it's a film that you often see memed, doesn't it? So you might think that it's properly terrible, and it's not. It's actually an enjoyable '90s caper. And you know, if you, if you haven't seen it, you'll probably think, "What the hell is this?" But if you have a little bit, if you like us, have a little bit of nostalgia for that that kind those kind of '90s comedies, then it probably might actually hit that spot. Yeah, absolutely. This is not as bad as people make it out to be, actually. I was pleasantly surprised. And there are some surprisingly good lines, I think, as well. It does have good comic timing, which I think if it didn't, yeah, it would be yeah. all, it would be awful. It would be painful to watch if it wasn't funny. But it is funny. And there's stuff like, there's a whole very, very long scene where one of the kids is hiding under George Costanza's desk. And he's talking to the hotel owners about serious stuff or whatever and like trying to whisper to the boy. And then it goes, one of them goes, why is he talking to his crotch? And stuff. And then at the end... <laughs> the old man goes you know there's a small boy under your desk it's like the, the little things like that are actually really really funny yeah there's there's little moments like that um there's a really good one where um he's talking to these two people who are looking to to book the hotel for some kind of charity event and he's bad mouthing the four seasons and he sees the orangutan out the window and just shouts holy shit and goes running out <laughs> and then one of them the, turns to the other and goes uh, oh we must really hate the four seasons <laughs> oh, yeah. and that's that's a genuinely funny moment <laughs> oh, yeah, i can't show it to my son there if it's if he says holy shit it's got, it? it's got swearing in it um there's talk about faye dunaway kicking big bird in the nuts yeah um which is very good and there's um, a lot of things right? it's quite simple gags but it's like that he says there's no monkey in this hotel and then he's swinging from a chandelier or whatever or he says as of this moment they're both on their best behavior and then it cuts to the boys and dunstan like trashing a room and having a pillow fight <laughs> squirting water everywhere 
also one one line that made me laugh quite a lot was when he refers to he goes oh it's the smelly ledge monster and i can't remember the 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 context for it but the the delivery was very very funny and he also has quite a violent um confrontation with the with paul rubens in the kitchen doesn't he um yes like they're like hacking at each other with kitchen implements for a bit quite enjoyed that Yes, yeah, no, it's it's good. There's some there's some good variety in this film. This is far better than it had any right to be. Yeah, so no, I I, I do actually suggest checking it out if you want something lighthearted and silly. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, get on it. It's definitely a good one to kick off Animal Month. So how are we going to rate yes. this? Um, how many, um, how many orangutans have you murdered to make the last orangutan listen to you oh well i i've done i've killed 14 of them it was a lot i've killed 12 i said i want him dead (laughs) a lot of murdered orangutans between us um that's not good right so what are we doing next i don't remember i can't remember either (laughs) what movies have we planned for animal month this was your baby so I hold you in time. My monkey baby. <laughs> or were we, we going to do Ace Ventura? Were we going to do a double a double bill? Or were we just going to do the first one? Oh, I can't remember. What do you want to do? Do you want to do Ace Ventura or double Ace? Maybe we, maybe we should do double because I'm away next week. So maybe we should do a double bill. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll watch the Ace Venturas. Ace Ventura 1 and 2. I'm going to New York for work so I can watch them on the plane. <laughs> There we go. Very nice. My entertainment sorted. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, Ace Venturas. Very, very good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We hope you really, really enjoyed it. If you haven't seen Dunstan Checks In, check it out. Yeah, it's got an orangutan in it. What more can you want from a film? Yeah, and we're going to be doing animal films all month, so get ready for that. We need to, I think, well, if we do the double bill of Ace Ventura, then we just, probably just need to choose one more, right? So if you want to have a think about that, then I think that's that's fair. Sure, sure. Now I'll, I'll give it some thought. All right. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about Ace Ventura double bill. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye.